Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you have moderate to high stress, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wrecks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings. Now, the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. If your life is a bit stressful and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle get 15 percent off and free shipping at takelean.com and enter victor15 that's promo code victor15 at takelean.com takelean.com statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease and is not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, and the namesake. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, and the Wayne Amasha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor has, uh, well, while this show is, you're listening to it, and if it's the the end of the first week of July, Victor's, I think, traveling somewhere. And that's why we're doing the, the special pre-recorded uh, episodes, four of them. This is the final, this is the fourth of the four, where we solicited and received questions from you, the listener listeners, and we are uh, asking Victor's uh, take on some of your questions. So thanks for sub submitting them. And Victor, this um, the questions on this episode will, at the end, we'll ask you a couple of questions about your views on certain presidents. But we have an initial question that is about current politics, about Trump and DeSantis and just how much they love each other and whether they're telling the truth about each other, et cetera. And we're going to get your take. We'll have Victor, the political analyst and Victor, the historian. And we'll get to that, all that right after these important messages. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org justnews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advice fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's donorstrust.org slash just news. 
can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. I should uh, not that I want to get this out of the way, but you know, I tend to forget things, Victor. So let me do mention here now a few things. One, there is a formal official website of Victor Davis Hanson. It's called the Blade of Perseus, and its web address is victorhanson.com. And you listeners should go there regularly and you should subscribe. Why should you subscribe? Because you, you like what Victor writes. You will not be able to read a lot of his original content that he writes for the Blade of Perseus. They're ultra articles. Victor writes two or three such articles a week and a couple of books worth a year. Five bucks gets you in the door, $50 for a full year discounted. If you're a fan of Victor's writing and you're not subscribing, something's very wrong. So do that, please. If you're on Facebook, you should visit uh, the, uh, what's the name of it? The Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club, where some of these questions came from. Thanks, folks. Uh, about, 50, I don't know, 60,000 people or so are, are members of that club. And uh, just uh, good folks. And you'll find links to all sorts of Victor-related things there. There's VDH's Morning Cup, which is also to be found uh, at Facebook, I believe. If I'm wrong, I'll get spanked. And then uh, if you're on Twitter, at... B.D. Hanson, that's Victor's uh, official handle there. So, Victor, I have a question from Janet. Janet's an old friend. I know you've met her on some way back in the day National Review cruises. A little lengthy here, but here's what she writes. uh, The ads against DeSantis about his wanting to cut Social Security and Medicare are beneath contempt. They sound... Just like those lying ads from Dems, which show up every election against Republicans. But the worst is the ads about fair tax and 23% on everything you buy. Thus, DeSantis wants to raise everyone's taxes. This lying ad I hate in the extreme. I love the fair tax, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you think this comes, this question, Victor, comes from someone that can't stand Donald Trump. Let me continue reading what Janet wrote. I want Trump to be president in 2024 and DeSantis in 2028. I'm not in charge, but that is what I want. And I want to be alive to see it. But whoever is giving Trump this advice to use these scurrilous ads is not his friend. I want Trump not to badmouth DeSantis, but especially not to lie about him. 
What does VDH think about my thoughts? Victor, I, I pose not to not to get you in trouble with certain readers, and any of your answers is not necessarily saying yes. Trump is Trump lied in in his ads. It's I think though the essence of what Janet writes here is uh, represents how a lot of people might think. I, I want Trump to win. You had DeSantis be in the on deck circle, but what Trump is doing right now with some of these attack ads really uh, I find uh, uh, unsettling. Uh, whether you agree with that or not, Victor, um, I don't know. We'll hear. What are your any any reactions to? Well, I am, yeah, I, I agree with. I'm confused because there are, and I I try to be analytical. There are about four or five strains of attack on that are thematic in those ads, and I think she's referring to the ones that are appealing to the Fox audience. I haven't watched Newsmax lately. I don't know if they're there, but they're mostly in Fox and then on the on the web. And they attack him on COVID, which I don't understand because although no one quite was adamantly 100% against the lockdowns from the very beginning because they didn't know the nature of COVID. But very early on, among the first rank of the governors, the Santos was opposed to a complete shutdown. That's clear. So to suggest that Florida did worse than New York, because on deaths per thousand, it ranks slightly more, is to just completely forget the role of elderly people and that the per capita age, Florida is not only older, but people who are much more vulnerable to the virus. And then you look at the excess death rate and it starts and then you look at the economics and it starts to show that DeSantis was right. So I don't understand that. I don't understand the attack on Social Security because. Social Security's biggest proponents tell us it's going to be broke in, was it 2035 at the present demographic and economic? Unless we have 5% growth and people start having three children again, it's going to be broke. So it's going to, we're going to have to do something. And so to suggest that you're going to have to do something, I don't know what else you're supposed to say. Everything's okay. Uh, you're either going to have to cut benefits or raise the payroll tax. And they've already raised the lid on income susceptible to the payroll tax. And so I, I, I don't understand that. He's attacking them on Disney. I don't understand that. Disney has a unusual, absurd concession of 40 square miles in Central Florida. Why did they get that? This should have been re redressed a long time ago. And he, Disney is on the forefront of the radical transgender transitioning movement. And having that material uncensored for children, I don't know why he's against that. I don't know why he said something about when about the budget and that almost that if if as if he were more toward that. So what I'm afraid about is that Trump's advisors are telling him to strangle the DeSantis candidacy in its infancy. I understand the logic, but. I don't think that's the right approach. I think it's counterproductive. It's going to get a, a a big response. Anytime you attack somebody in the Republicans from the from the left, and your constituency is hardcore conservative MAGA people, that I don't think that was well thought out. Then you get into the point where what what do we, each candidate has to do? DeSantis has to show you that he's a national candidate. 
And although people say that he's not as charismatic as Trump and all that, he still has to show people that he can take the Florida model and put it on a national scale. So it's not just fighting Disney, but the Disney paradigm then serves as galvanizing people who go on to do Target and Bud. And it's the reawakening or it's not just that he uh, has no taxes and deregulates, but how he could superimpose that on the national. I don't think he's had a sales tax in Florida. That's a fair tax, 23. If he really believed that, he would have done it in Florida because he doesn't have an income tax. So you would think that if Florida was broke, and if you really did believe that DeSantis was advocating a national fair tax or absorbing an EU type of sales tax, he would have done it in Florida because he has no other source of revenue to essentially say. Here in California, we have a sales tax that's normally 9 or 10, but when you add the local add-ons, it can be up to 11 or 12, and you, we're paying a top rate is 13.3, and we have the highest gas taxes, and we're still $35 billion in the So something is going wrong here when we're losing 400000 and people are going there, including you know the Trump family goes there. So I don't understand that, and what I'm worried about is this. That And when Trump attacked Kayleigh McEnany, I don't understand that either. She was heroic defending him. All she said is, I, I went back and looked at the clip from it. She said that DeSantis was gaining traction in Iowa. And she quoted a poll that Trump disagreed with. Maybe she was factually incorrect. I don't think she did it maliciously so. But that's her job. To have credibility, that's your job. And so what I would like to see is an open primary and have all the candidates run and have them go through the yin and yang, Sturm and Drang, battle it out, but within certain Ronald Reagan 11th commandment parameters that you don't do the ad hominem. And more importantly, they all, all do what they didn't do to Donald Trump in 2016. They pledged that they were going to support the nominee. They didn't think Trump would be the nominee, but when he was a nominee, a lot of them said, I think Carly Fiorina was very, I'm not supporting the guy. Right. Well, you pledged, you gave your word, and they didn't. And so I think- Don Kasich. Right. Don Kasich, yeah, there were a couple of others. So right now, I, I hope every one of us pledges to everybody that we are going to support the Republican nominee, no matter how divisive, because they don't have we have no margin of error and the country will be destroyed by four more years of Biden. I think it would be wise just as an outside observer if DeSantis, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever Trump says that he's actually down, that he said, I'm going to support the nominee. That would be magnanimous. And if he should come, and I think Trump would welcome that, thinking that he will be the nominee. But if Trump were to slide under the weight of all these sequential and pre-planned indictments by this pack of wolves that is after him, and DeSantis starts to rise, then I would expect Trump to honor that commitment, just as he was angry that people didn't honor their word to him in 2016. So that I, I don't see anything wrong with the primary. I want to see what DeSantis has to say. I want to see how he performs. I like what he did in Florida. I want to make I, I like what Trump did for four years. But the argument that I don't I, I don't think Trump understands that the argument and it's not coming from rhinos and globalists like he used in putting down 
McEnany. I talked to a lot. I get a lot of conservative people that write me and call me. And some of these guys are hardcore. And they're saying, I can't go through it again. And I, and I questioned them. I said, no, I want you to specify and calibrate what you said. I can't do the put downs anymore. I can't. If he wants, he doesn't like Kaylee anymore. He doesn't have to say that she's milk toast and let the globalists have her. That sounds like she's a sacrifice on a rock or something to a god or a monster. And so they don't want that. And it's unnecessary. So all Trump has to do is not do it. And I think when Trump was on the debate the other night and Sean was pretty tough on Biden in a kind of a health way, Trump was magnanimous. And he said, you know, uh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to make fun of him. He's obviously got problems. He's obviously shouldn't be present, but I'm not going to make fun of the way he stumbled. You know, they made fun of me and I didn't stumble. I know what it's like. And that was that was perfect. But he's got some. It reminds me of that first debate. And we talked about that with Chris Christie. It reminds me of something that there's some type of advisor. I don't know if it's Roger Stone. I don't know if it was it was. Rudy Giuliani, but whoever gave him that advice in that first debate was wrong. He did not win that first debate. Whoever gave him the advice in the second debate was right. He won that second debate because he just outpointed Biden. He had the facts at his disposal. He dominated, but he was not rude and disruptive. And he didn't try to rattle Biden's cage and then, and Biden rattled his own cage. But yeah. he lost the audience in the first debate. I don't care what a person says he did. And then the polls show it. The polls show he won that second debate. And so when he does that, he's funny. And when he mentioned, I said that he said, can you imagine if I was a drunk? God, what would that be like? And everybody yeah. laughed about it. Yeah. And he has a sense of humor. And he's everybody says he's I don't think he is vindictive. I think he can forgive people, but he doesn't. He's been told, like he was told about the Biden debate, you go in there and just rattle the guy and he'll just collapse. No, he won't. The guy slept for three days and was on Adderall. He was ready for it. Yeah. All it made you is confirm that you were a bully. And so, you know, and so with DeSantis, all he has to do, if you're on the Trump side, I'm trying to be neutral here in this analysis so that. So our listeners right. don't think I'm a ranked partisan, but and I want to reiterate that I will vote overwhelmingly and work as much as I can for the nominee. I don't, you know, I don't right. think there's one. I don't I'll have problems if it's if it's Chris Christie, but I will vote for Chris Christie over Biden. But I won't I think be enthusiastic you, yeah. about it. But I right. think I think everybody and you look at DeSantis and he hasn't replied in kind. And so. Let me just finish by what is the strategy as I see it. The strategy in Trump is, as I said, to strangle the baby in the cradle so that he doesn't get a life because they feel that Donald Trump is going when Bragg has postponed it till March. And then we've got Latita James and then we've got Willis and we've got Smith. You know what they're doing. Uh, they want to create empathy and then they want to crush Trump and bury him with lawfare. And yeah. and I think DeSantis feels that if he is magnanimous, but runs some ads, but not mean like Trump and praises Trump's record, which is praiseworthy and says, what would he say? If you, know, if you think about it just off the top of my head, what would he say? He would say if I were him, because I just said if I was Trump, I would say, well, DeSantis is 42 or 43 and he can wait four years and then he can. He'd be a wonderful vice president. He could join me on ticket or he could 
he could take the baton, and that's what he should be saying. If he really, you know, oh, he had a great record. I'm in Florida. Why would I attack him? I move out. But he didn't do that. That would what I would have advised him. And then uh, I would advise, or I would advise him, said, you know what? DeSantis is a great guy, but I'm taking the heat because they're after me. They're after me. I'm the shield. They're destroying, trying to destroy me with all these losses. And I'll take it for you. But these other people have not endured that. And they couldn't endure it like that. That would be a, a fair thing to do. And DeSantis, I think, is gonna, he's going to have a lot of talking points. I, I think he's going to say, you know, I'm looking forward. I'm looking to 2024. I'm not going to replay ad nauseum 2020. Or he's going to say, you know, with me, you don't get Scaramucci and you don't get uh, Omaroso and you don't get Anonymous. I very carefully, I get even, I don't get mad. Or he's going to say, uh, you know, uh, I've got a plan that I worked in Florida and I am going to hit the ground running and I don't make bad appointments. I do not make point. I do not give the, you know, Medal of Freedom to Anthony Fauci. I fire the SOB. And so I think it's going to be more on competence, youth, looking ahead rather than ad hominem. And we'll see what I think it's going to be a close race. I really do. I don't I don't get this. All these announcers saying it's over with. I've never heard that before. We, we're so far out. We're wow. We're what is six, seven months out from New Hampshire, Iowa. It's right. a long, long way. We haven't had the debates until August. We didn't. People at this time were talking about how great Kamala Harris and Cory Booker were. Remember that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, Spartacus and and I was that little girl on the bus that you were raising. two glass jaws. Yeah, so we don't know, and you know, there's other candidates too, but I think who I think DeSantis is he's he's understanding that he's letting he's kind of a rope a dope strategy. He's letting Trump punch himself out, and Trump keeps each time he attacks Kaylee McEnany, his former press secretary. Or each time he runs these weird bobblehead ads, he peels off. A, I don't think he he I don't think he says. I don't think the people listen and say, I'm going to vote for DeSantis, but I didn't know that, that he was against Social Security. So I'm not voting. I think it's more likely as, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm going to vote for DeSantis. He's losing but. I may be wrong. And I, I well, that's it. You know, to the Bible, the, the, polls, the, to the polls will show. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before, a previous podcast director, and I'm no theologian, but to every season. And politically, what worked today might not work tomorrow. And the astute politician just can't play the same, you know, yeah. act every time. Uh, so, I think uh, that if I was told, if I was on Trump's team, I would get ready responses because. You're no doubt DeSantis is going to say, you know what, we would have won the Senate if Trump hadn't have gone down there and told people their vote wouldn't count or offended. And we should there's no way in the world the Republican Party should have lost two Senate seats and gave Biden the power to destroy our lives and elect socialists, not Democrats, hardcore socialists from Georgia. And by why we were, you know, spent election, 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 you know, Dominion. Voting machines cracking, and then they were stealing us blind, and and the rest was history. 
So that there were things and I, you know, I, I was very pro Trump, but there were things that I have forgotten that bothered me about it, about the, some of the things he did. And I didn't care because he was so much better and he did such a wonderful job. But if you keep pushing the envelope and you keep trying to be ad hominem against a good governor that is very conservative, you know, it's it's Reagan was the guy. I mean, you look back at Reagan and Jimmy Carter was mean and, and he just said, there you go again. <laughs> there you go again. It right. was, he put him down. And then George H.W. Bush, remember, he got mean uh, in that when he was behind Reagan. And he said, you know, voodoo, I can and, and then when, you know, Reagan was very magnanimous and appointed him vice president, candidate, running mate. But it's better to be magnanimous, I think, than to get to the idea that you rattle the cage and you he's not going to rattle uh, the census's cage. He's not going to take him out early. Let's have the whole thing unfold issue for yeah. issue. Let's see the border. Which what does one candidate say in the border? What's the other? What about crime? What about crime? What about energy? What about energy? What about foreign policy? What about just get the whole record out there and let let the rest of them come in on the debate stage and we'll see. But yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get the strategy. You don't attack a successful Republican governor that had the best record in the 2022 midterms from the left. And in the process of doing that, you praise Andrew Cuomo, who sent active live COVID patients into a rest home where 14,000 people died. And he was an egomaniac and had a disastrous policy. He was a sexual a truly, harasser. A truly bad human being. He Pro-lifers and, and, and conservatives and, and more importantly, during this whole period, you talk about loyalty. DeSantis was very loyal to Trump. Right. I know that Trump was helping him a lot, but he did not talk about But who talked the worst about Trump? Cuomo. He was mean. Trump tried to help him. He tried to send him. Remember the the, the hospital ship and the tent the city, ship, right? And, and all the, the ventilators. Yeah. Ventilator, Javits the Center turned into a yeah. uh, de facto hospital. Yeah, remember yeah. the ventilators. He tried to do all he could, and yeah. all Cuomo did was go on to his brother's TV show and trash Trump because he thought and get a he was five million dollar book contract. Yes, and he <laughs> no need to get into the bizarre financial details of that thing. But he was convinced that the nominee Biden would pick him as vice president. He had no idea that identity politics after the George Floyd just made that impossible. But my point is, you don't praise that guy and then attack somebody whose views are just about like your own. I don't get it. I do not get it. And I have a feeling that there are people around Trump that are advising that type of strategy. And I know that there's I, he has some really brilliant people that are not that wouldn't advise that. And I don't know why they are not their voices are not being heard. But and then somebody's going to say, I'll get a letter tomorrow. I get a lot of emails. And so Victor, right. Victor, Victor, just look at the polls, smart ass. What do you know from Selma, California? You make fun of this, you know, take no prisoners. Look at the polls. He goes up. Well, the the race hasn't started yet. Now DeSantis is a candidate. And now we're going to be into a lawfare cycle. So we don't know what people are going to say, but we'll see. I think everybody out there who's on the conservative side, just make one vow to yourself that you will support with all of your energy 
the candidate, the nominee. The nominee right. is not going to be John McCain, Redukes. It's not going to be Mitt Romney 2.0. It's not going to be Bob Dole 3.0. It's going to be a populist nationalist conservative. It is. Well, and and the other side of the coin is I'm not only voting for somebody, I'm voting against somebody. And if that's the motivation, I do not know how any conservative could not have seen or said, holy crap, if Joe Biden's president, this place is going down the crack. James Comey, remember, and, Mr. Republican, Mr. Rhino, yeah. Mr. Republican establishment said today that he would have to vote for Biden over any Republican nominee, even though he was Republican and he voted for Biden before. Can you imagine that voting for Biden in 2020? I can imagine James giving this- Comey um, doing that. Yes. Yeah. And then he, and then he said that, well. that he would be afraid that Trump would weaponize the government. This is from a guy who paid Christopher Steele taxpayer money to compile a completely bogus dossier, which then his own people went to him and said, there's not a damn thing and this thing is true. And we've offered him a million dollars if he can just prove one fact. And he knew that and he took it to a federal court judge and said, well, this thing is authentic and we want to use this as the basis for FISA warrants to spy on people, even as his deputy legal mind Kevin Kleinsmith was feloniously altering a document, even as we know there was no justification for Hurricane Crossfire, even as you know, he went to the president of the United States and assured him he was not under investigation when he was memorialized the conversation with Trump, put it on a private uh, FBI device and leaked it for the sole purpose of getting a special counsel who turned out to be his friend, Bob Mueller. That's the guy who weaponized and ruined the FBI. And I can't believe he's out there lecturing us on. Well, it's, right. it's projection. They're all what, what they're complaining about is what they're doing. I mean, I, to me, a weaponized FBI is the one that kicks in the door of a pro-lifer who, who had yeah, said he would turn himself in. I know that didn't happen while Comey was was ahead of it, but certainly the culture had been uh, warp speeded by him. Well, anyway, Victor. Um, we have to get to another question because these are a ch- little bit short time-wise, uh, these uh, special podcasts. So this is, again, this is the fourth of the four. Uh, Victor is uh, going to be away sailing, bounding on some seas somewhere. And uh, we're going to stick, with though, with the topic of presidents, since we've just talked about presidents, and we'll continue that. And we'll do that right after these important messages. <laughs> At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor... Uh, math professor Gary from Indiana, and I, you know, I do want to sing Gary Indiana from the Music Man, but I'm not going to do it. He, he posed, uh, he posed uh, this. I'm assuming w- that with VDH, VDH's breadth of knowledge, that he could share his thoughts on various U.S. presidents. So, Victor, you're a historian. I know more military historian, but you know, you you know, you know everything about everything. So, uh, let me pick a. a view here um how about presidents you believe are underrated and presidents you believe are overrated i bet i'm gonna hear the word obama come out in the last one but underrated and overrated presidents victor oh well we want to go down this (laughs) the most overrated was barack obama yeah barack obama Name it. Just name it. We came into that presidency with people on both sides of the political aisle that were really working hard to put race behind us and make it incidental to who we are. And all during that campaign, he take a gun to a knife fight, get in their faces. Uh, My grandmother was scared of black men threw her under the bus. Michelle, they raised the bar on me. Never been proud. Damn right me. I got so sick of it. And then he got in there and it was full. He ran about, oh, I'm to the right of Hillary. As soon as he got in there, it was socialist medical Medicare, you know, medical Obamacare, which I think the medical system was never recovered from. And then he remanufactured the entire Middle East and was the most anti-Israeli president we've ever had. He alienated a lot of the Sunni monarchies. And then he promoted Iran, 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 and the Shia circle and triangle, whatever it is, Hezbollah, Hamas, Lebanon, Syria. We had the bombing of Libya where the Qaddafi epigon is that the children were going to gradually re- restructure Libya. They probably would have lost power eventually, but it was a... The idea you're going to go in there and bomb and just destroy that country is then we had the Syrian red line. Remember that brought the Soviets back into the Middle East for the first time in 40 years. And by the way, they're still there. Then we had the hot mic where basically that was the green light that got Putin into Ukraine when he said, give me space, Vladimir. Tell Vladimir to give me space. I'll I'll be flexible in missile defense. My last election, Putin gave him space. We dismantled missile defense, which would be very valuable right now in Eastern. And Poles would have been very happy to have it. And then he went into uh, Crimea and the Donbass, etc. That was his foreign policy. We had the whole Trayvon would have looked like the child I never had. You name it. It was just in your face and in your face. And suddenly everybody started to recalibrate their tribal affinities. And then this completely nefarious, debunked charlatan, but a sinister one, not just 
a nonchalant charlatan. Al Sharpton was rehabilitated and what was in the White House every week, this Freddie Freddie's market, uh, Crown Heights racist. You, you know, tell them Jews to come over here and their Yarmouth. We blacks were doing this when you homos, it was homophobic, it was racist, it was anti-Semitic, and all of a sudden he's central point man for Obama. Go on and on and on. The one thing about Obama people don't realize is that, yes, Obama won twice. And yes, he raised record amounts of money. And yes, he ran brilliant campaigns. But over his tenure, he lost 1,400, 1,400 state and local offices to Republicans. Right. And he, he came in with a super majority in the Senate and the House. And when he left, he had lost the House and the Senate and the presidency. That's hard to do in a country that's controlled by leftist institutions. He was sitting in the meeting when John Brennan laid out the whole FBI operation crossfire hurricane, and he heard what Hillary Clinton was doing. He knew all about his secretary of state, excuse me, his department of justice attorney general meeting with Bill Clinton during the whole Hillary thing. You name it. This goes all the way back to Tony Resco and what his Chicago career. And now he has the gumption to come out every once in a while and lecture us on racial relations and stereotyping when he has what? Not the Chicago beautiful home, not the Calorama mansion, not the 40 acre Martha's Vineyard mansion, but the Hawaii mansion. And as he's and he lectures us on white supremacy, white privilege, etc., Remember, he hijacked the John Lewis funeral and started giving us rants about Puerto Rico and the filibuster being a racist idea. I could not believe that. Here you are at a funeral and he's supposed to be giving a eulogy and he starts ranting about giving getting rid of the Jim Crow area of relic era filibuster at a funeral. And I'm yeah. thinking, wait a minute, who filibustered Sam Alito? Wasn't it you? Right. Isn't it you? You tried to stop his nomination by doing what? Filibustering? Don't give us this lecture. Don't so tawdry. Yeah. yeah, it was. They always remember when the Democrats did that. Also, at Paul Wellstone's. They funeral. did that. They did that. At least that backfired. But yeah, and you know, it was. It changed the Democratic Party. It. They had a party of Bill Clinton. I know Bill Clinton was corrupt. I know he was. Mm -hmm untrustworthy, but he was a realist and a pragmatist. And he and Newt Gingrich gave us four years of balanced budget. I know taxes were too high. I know all that, but we were not borrowing trillions of dollars. Right. You could work Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton and 1992 and 1996 Democratic conventions. They gave speeches about open borders as a bad thing. And legal only immigration. That was the Democratic Party. You could at least work with it. It wasn't a Jacobin party. He did that. Obama did that. And he weighed in on, remember, Professor Skip Gates and the police stereotypically. We all know that they typically do this. No, we don't. They don't do that. And we had, remember, then Gates was going to donate his plastic handcuffs to the Smithsonian as a mark of racist racism in America, just because he locked himself out and somebody called that a guy was breaking into a house and the police said, you know, who are you? And Obama had to weigh in on that. And then he had the beer summit. Remember that when it backfired? Yes. So that was a bad guy and he's overrated. I, I like JFK. I thought he was very good. 
tax cuts. He gave us a new look, but he was a mediocre president. Um, let me let, let me ask you about two presidents that surround the the Second World War. Yes, obviously that's Roosevelt and Truman. What? Uh, just let's look at the military. Uh, you can do whatever you want, Victor. It's your show. But thoughts: Was Franklin Roosevelt overrated? Was Harry Truman overrated? FDR. Let's be honest. He. Came in in 33. We had a recession, a depression. We had been in under Hoover for three years. He had the right idea that you temporarily prime the economy. At first, he wanted to balance the budget. But then he went so far. He, he let his advisors or he was one himself. We went into a full the National Recovery Act was socialism. And he was a mean SOB. He tried to pack the court when they ruled against him. He went to the New York Times. If anybody opposed him, they, he threatened to have special IRS legislation against them. In 44, he said, why are we fighting fascists just to come back to the United States and have Republican fascists? He was a mean guy and he ruined the economy in the 1938. You go back and look at the 38, 39 continuance of the Great Depression. And it was a complete failure, the complete failure of the New Dealer. We were just about whack where we were with 32, say 18% unemployment, something like that. And then right. the war came and everybody thought, you know what? He's going to screw that up. He's going to do to the war what he did with the New Deal. He's going to have government this. And he didn't. He said, you know, doctor, he said, doctor, um, what did he say? Dr. New Deal has been taken over by Dr. War production. And what he meant was we're going to get a lot of deficit spending, 25 percent. Um, well, we're going to get 120 percent of national debt uh, in in borrowing, but we're going to prime the economy. But more importantly, we're going to turn it over to William Newsom. And we're going to the GM and Henry Kaiser, and we're going to get a war production board and we're going to get the meanest SOP capitalists. And if they want to build, if they need to build a liberty ship every day or every two days, then they're, we're going to give them a whole swath of Alameda or we're going to give them this port in Seattle or we're going to give them Willow Run. We're going to tell Henry Ford, we need to get a B-24, you know, made every hour. So what do you need? Biggest factory in history, it's yours. Go to A. We need a new Pentagon. What do the guys tell us we need? And he did it. Yeah. So he was a very good. And then on strategy, he he was pretty smart. I mean, George Marshall was not a genius, but he was a very decent person and he kept him. And George Marshall had dignity and character. And another thing that Roosevelt did, everybody thought that George Patton was an authentic military genius, and we benched him for a year after the slapping incidents. And he right. should he should have been the supreme, not supreme commander, is he wasn't fit for that mentally and you know administratively or psychologically. But he should have been the senior American commander, not Bradley. He should have had Bradley's job, but Bradley and Eisenhower didn't like him. Ike said he saved him, maybe what, but they didn't like him. But you know who saved him was FDR. He told Marshall, I want that man. And Marshall communicated that to Eisenhower. Then Eisenhower wrote as if he saved him. But it was it was FDR. And so FDR, a point, there was a reason why we had brilliant commanders in World War II. Nimitz was absolutely stunning. He was wonderful. 
and LeMay was wonderful, and Hap Arnold was okay, and Marshall was good. Bradley was mediocre, but, but those other commanders were great. And it was it was Roosevelt via Marshall that allowed that to happen. He outsourced is what I'm trying to say. Truman was a feisty guy that came out of a corrupt Kansas City mob. I mean, he was. He was corrupt. But he did a pretty good job as senator on the war um, audits of all the corruption and what some of the damage had done to our troops with inferior equipment. He Truman was scared stiff. Every everybody, excuse me, everybody thought Roosevelt was going to die, and he did. Died what April first, and everybody knew that he was going to be dead in 1945. And then Henry right. Wallace, his running mate, was an absolute commie, a so hardcore soul. Nice guy. He was a wonderful. Was he a farmer? Wasn't he a farmer? Absolutely. He made a fortune in seed, seed <laughs> companies. Seeds, right. And later he kind of, you know what? If you look what he said in the 50s, he renounced his communism. He did. Yeah, he did. And he, he had, became a Republican. I he think. did. He was a yeah, wonderful he guy. But and he had he had a tragic death. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. But you know what? If he had been president at that stage in his life, it would have been a disaster. So they needed somebody right. who was obscure. And given the ego of Roosevelt, Roosevelt thought he was going to live forever. And he thought that I'll get an obscure senator to shut his mouth. They won't tell him anything about the war. I won't tell him anything about the bomb. He'll just be there. That's what the bosses want. That's what the bosses get. These Southern races will get this guy. He's from Missouri. And he turned out he integrated the troops in Korea. He drafted the Cold War. Uh, uh, he listened to George Keenan and we had this containment policy. He said to Stalin, he, they said, you don't have to be nice. All the Roosevelt guys said, you got to be nice to Stalin. He's that son of a bitch lied to me, he said. And, you know, he was kind of. A showboat with MacArthur. They didn't have to get to the point that it did. He shouldn't have relieved MacArthur the way he did. But MacArthur was out of hand, but he could have handled it better. So but he and he was kind of a demagogue. He called people names. But the point is, at that particular time in the war, he did a wonderful job and he was a, a decent person. So they were both in their own flawed ways, good presidents. I think Andrew yeah. Jackson was a great, a good. Everybody thinks he's a terrible president. Yeah. He recreated the idea of American president as a man of the people. Let's face it. He was not a Virginian aristocrat. Right. And he brought uh, earthiness and commonality. And he created Jacksonian deterrence that uh, Jacksonian as a person that's domestically and foreign says no better friend, no worse enemy. And that was his attitude. And it really is kind of the basis of Trump's foreign policy that it, as it was articulated in 2000, it was Jacksonian. Walter Russell Meade wrote a series of really brilliant articles about that, using that term Jacksonian. He was a, a good, Polk was a good president. I know that he was called an imperialist, but he understood certain realities about the southern border and manifest destiny. And he was he was not shy about that. Uh Everybody makes fun on the Republican side of Teddy Roosevelt because of his socialist progressive streaks. But he, he was a good president. He was a uh, renaissance, renaissance. I mean, not a great president, but he was a renaissance person is what I'm he, trying to. He was very he smart. Was a, he was a harmful ex-president, though. He, think very, uh, yeah, he was a harmful. Know, he destroyed the, 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 uh, he, destroyed, he, yeah. he elected Woodrow Wilson, put it right. that way. Right. That was a disaster. Yeah. But he did create a strong Navy and 
and he was for military power and stuff. He was, was a great was, naval historian, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Own, right? He was a great historian about a lot of things, and yeah. he overcame a lot of physical disabilities. I had, but, I wanted uh, I wanted to they, ask they, you about. Yeah, go ahead. You as underrated was I know that the left loves all of a sudden the left loves Grant because of the race issue, but Grant was a good president. He was. I don't think he was corrupt. He was just completely blind to the excesses of his friends. But he understood that uh, you had to have Union troops in the South to reconstruct the South. And if you didn't, the Republican judge or a reconstruction effort, they were going to be dead. And he broke them. And it worked yes. for it, it worked. I think it got excesses because it was it was going to create so much resentment when people couldn't vote because they had served in the Confederacy and you had only black elected officers. But that was in transition. I don't think we would. Have, what I'm trying to say is I don't think that had he been around, uh, we would have had the crooked bargain or all of that of third term or whatever. I don't think he, he had enough personal prestige and magnetism to wind down slowly reconstruction rather than just abruptly pull out and yeah. project weaknesses. I have a a follow a final question here, um, and we only have a few minutes left, Victor. And it's based on Roosevelt and your your assessment of him during World War II. But I'm I'm curious your take on Roosevelt's well, our position with France, and and uh, uh, you know we were not allies. That's the wrong word. Still supporting, also the wrong word, but the Vichy government, anti De Gaulle. Was that um, was that a, a was that Roosevelt's doing? Yeah, uh, Roosevelt hated De Gaulle. You know who really didn't hate De Gaulle and but knew all of his flaws was was Churchill. Churchill, right? Yeah, yeah it was very strong. You think he'd hate him, but Churchill understood a great truth about France, and that was that the entire aristocratic corporate right had sold out to Vichy and were appeasing Hitler and you couldn't count on them. And they were in charge of the army and the munitions and they, the, the abdominal wall of the West, the French army that had bent but not broken at the at Verdun was a hollow shell because of the French appeasement. And that appeasement came a lot from the right. And then he also knew that the left was totally communist. It was. And so he was looking for somebody that was not a Vichy right appeaser or sympathetic or and cahoots with the with Patan and, and the collaborationists and was not a communist. And here was this one star brigadier general who had been an army commander and written about infantry uh, armor tactics, had done very well in the fall of France. He actually had a minor little counter-offense. But more importantly, he was so audacious. Got to remember, de Gaulle was a nobody. It would be as if today the United States had been defeated and we had some one-star guy who was ahead of the 101st who just said, you know what? I am the voice of America. America will come back. America is not defeated. America is occupied but not vanquished. And then goes to Britain and makes an ass of himself and demands all of these resources and radio 
uh, privileges and then snubs and attacks the United and says, well, France was a great country. We say it. And he was just an obnoxious SOB, but it was necessary to have somebody like that. Yeah. And only Churchill had the temperament and the confidence in his own powers to try to tell Roosevelt, look, I know he's a, a mean SOB. I know he's an egomaniac. I know he reflects the worst traits of ingratitude of the French. I know he thinks <laughs> we're back in the Napoleonic era. But you know what? He's all we got. And we need that landing base. And when we go in there, we're going to need a sympathetic French. We're going to end up bombing. We killed more people through bombing France than the Germans did during occupation. Far more. 60, 70,000 people died from Allied oh. weapons. And we, the Nazis wow. probably executed about 20,000. Wow. And, and these were just collateral damage. And Churchill knew that. And he said, look, we went in, Churchill went in to the ports in North Africa and bombed the French fleet. Because right after the fall of France, I mean, they had uh, the Jean Bart. They had, France had the best destroyers in the world. They had three right. great battleships. And they were, that fleet was all there and Hitler needed it. And he just said, you know what? Those Vichys will take over North African provinces, colonies. Don't believe them. They're not free French. we got to go destroy the French fleet. And he killed, I don't know, hundreds of Frenchmen. Yeah. And he made that decision. He was a, But he understood France and he understood what they needed. And Roosevelt didn't. Roosevelt was very naive about foreign affairs. He understood what the United States needed. And he put trust in good people during the war. But he had de Gaulle wrong. De Gaulle, Nixon had de Gaulle right. Nixon really admired de Gaulle. And, you know, when, when Kennedy... Uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and when K Kennedy's people went over to, I think he said to De Gaulle, this is where we are with the Soviet Union. We want to know about the force to frap, you know, their independent nuclear. And right. De Gaulle, I think, said, we don't have to be told, uh, we don't have to have data when an American president looks me out and gives his word. What American you president did, says. Yeah, then he's uh, like, you don't have to show me the pictures. Yes, yes. Something like yeah, that. Overview about the Cuban. The, yeah. Cuban, yeah. He, he said, don't show right. it to me. Right. I accept your word. And France is with you. Right. And, you know, he was, yeah. he could be an SOB after 67 when it was pretty clear that Nasser and everybody was going to attack Israel first if Israel didn't preempt. And Israel went over to De Gaulle and said, look, we need some Mirage jets and we need parts and you're the only people that will sell us. And that's that's our main fighter. We weren't giving them anything. And de Gaulle said, you're a sad, I'm, I'm quoting by memory, you're a sad people with a, a sad history. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> very complex guy. But yeah. uh, Roosevelt, uh, Reagan was a great president. I, I... As I get older and I think I go back and look at tapes and I mean, he was after they got shot and he obviously declined his last two years. He had problems, but he was able to convince people to go down a path that was just simply unimaginable. The idea that you would cut taxes to 28 percent or you would take a Jimmy Carter, more bun economy and get 7 percent GDP growth in 1984. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. And he wasn't malicious and he had, he understood, he was funny. And so I, I liked Reagan and, and um, 
Jimmy Carter was a miserable, mean SOB. Another thing that we remember about certain Democratic presidents that we've created this artifice, that Jimmy Carter was a saint. No, he wasn't. He was really mm -hmm. mean. And so was Joe yeah. Biden. They have a mean streak in both of them. They're vindictive. They're angry. And they were not good presidents. They were both. I think that Carter and, and Biden were the two worst presidents in my lifetime by by any measure. Lincoln is, yeah. I, I think we, we kind of look at Lincoln and we don't look at Washington, but we were very lucky to have Washington. Any Almost any other human being in that position would have grabbed the power and found ways to allow himself to be permanently the head of the United States. But the idea that you do all of that, you sacrifice your health, your wealth, and you went, beat the British, you free a country, you served her two terms, and that's it. And you institutionalize that idea. That was very important at the time he did it. Yeah. And, I think and he's very underrated as a writer, by the I, way. I, I do too. Um, I do too. It's like the letter to the to the Jewish congregation yes. in, in um, Newport has some of the mo uh, most beautiful prose about, you know, living together under the, you know, tree of happiness, fig tree, something, something to that effect. But it just so... Uh, I, th I think powerful. Yeah. And Link Lincoln was a great man. He has a tragic sense about everything, his marriage and everything that had happened in his life. And he 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 was completely unshakable when, you know, McClellan lost his head after Antietam. Yeah. You know, hey, General McClellan, if you're not going to use the army, can I borrow it from you? That kind <laughs> of he was he was he kept us cool the whole time. And when they came to him, Halleck and everybody said Grant was drunk at Shiloh and he didn't know what he was doing. He said, uh, uh, I can't afford to lose this many fights. And there were other suggestions. I don't think he said it, but, you know, whatever he whatever he's drinking, give it to right. him. Yeah. And then, he, you know, nobody was going to back Sherman. He guy was brilliant at Bull Run and then. He kind of lost his. He didn't lose his mind. He said the truth. He said that we're gonna. It's gonna cost us four hundred thousand men to win this war, and we have to kill off the whole cavalier class of the South. It may be two hundred and fifty thousand of these rich slave owning plantationists, but they gotta go. Oh, that's terrible. We're, this is great. And then he had a mental breakdown, sort of, and they rehabilitated it, Tatum and Shiloh, and then all of a sudden, what did <laughs> he? You know, he, he was a. He he was he's, just, he's one of your heroes. He was the, one of my heroes in the March of the Sea. Right? Yeah. They yeah they went to Lincoln and Sherman didn't. He just cut his supply lines. He's cut his supply lines. He's left Atlanta. He has no support. He has no rail. <laughs> Lincoln said, "Well, he's kind of like a gopher. He went down one hole, and I I propose it or suppose or I think he'll pop up in another hole. Maybe it'll be all the way to Savannah." It was he had absolute Victor. confidence in Sherman's ability, and yeah. it, and that that won the Civil War. When you turn the war over to those two men, Grant and Sherman, with help from from uh, Thomas and Sheridan, then the war was won. They were authentic military geniuses, and they were far better commanders. I hate to say it than uh, Robert E. Lee. Robert Lee was brilliant on the defense of Richmond, but he was not. He didn't have the imagination that a Sherman or Grant did. Well, I'm speaking to you from from a little hotel in Gettysburg where I happen to be today. Uh, so I'm not too far from wow. uh, the scene of uh, Lee's great. I liked uh, I mean, 
Alan Guelzo, I reviewed that. He wrote a brilliant uh, biography of Robert E. Lee. He was harsh on Robert E. Lee, but he was fair. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was captive of his time. He didn't transcend it in the way Lincoln did. But uh, I don't know. I look back at Grant and Sherman was a, uh, Sherman was just an amazing person. I mean, when they said to him after that brilliant absolute brilliant Atlanta campaign where, he, you know, he left Tennessee and he outfoxed John Bell Hood. He outfoxed Joe Jack uh, Johnson. He took Atlanta. He cut it off the supply of rails from the south. And then he, everybody said he had to occupy it for the rest of the, you know, the world, sit there and do nothing. And he cut loose with 60,000 troops and went all, you know, cut Georgia in half, humiliated the plantation plant. And everybody said, it's Sherman, it's Sherman, it's Sherman. And Grant was tied down in that bloody summer of fall of 1864, 100,000 cows at least. Mary Lincoln said he's a butcher. He's a butcher. Husband, he's a butcher. Get rid of him. And they went to Sherman every day, the reporters. He put some of them in a, in a little temporary jail, you know. He was so <laughs> sick of them. And they said, you know, and he said, you know what? I told Grant, that when I was crazy, he supported me. And now when they say he's drunk, I support him. <laughs> and he said, you don't understand what's going on. Uh, Grant's got him by the collar and holding him tight. And I'm going around the back and kicking him in the rear. Or and then he said, you know what? Uh, there's a fire in the there's a fire in the kitchen. Grant's in there with a fire, and I'm going around and stealing the house. And he understood they were complementary strategies. Is what I'm trying yeah. to say. And they were enhanced. Yeah. And he could have been easily been an egomaniac, said I'm better than Grant and I should be president. Instead, he said, you know, if nominated, I will not serve. If elected, I will not. I will not take the nomination. If if elected, I will not serve. He was a great man. Yeah. Well, Victor, my friend, we have uh, come to the end of this particular podcast. So, uh, and again, this was the fourth of four that we have uh, recorded for when you're off on, I'll call it the good ship lollipop. I hope when it happens, you'll be having. Wish me luck. I'm going to fly on a 16 hour flight from San Francisco to Istanbul on Turkish Airlines. Well, that's 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 a bit of a. I hope I hope you're not back in row fifty seven in the middle no, seat. I'm... Okay, don't tell us your don't tell us your first class uh, troubles, Victor. Th thanks so much for all the wisdom again that you shared, and and thanks for, to our listeners uh, for listening and for supporting the show and for subscribing to Victor Hansen doc at victorhansen .com and those who subscribe to Civil Thoughts at civilthoughts.com, the thing I write. Appreciate it very much, and we will be back soon, believe it or not, with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks, and bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests 
including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. 